section forty one of Uther and Igraine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Uther and Igraine by Warwick Deeping. Book four, chapter eight. As the world grew grey with waking light, Uther the king came from the woods, and heard the noise of the sea in the hush that breathed in the dawn. The storm had passed over the ocean, and vast quiet hung upon the lips of the day. In the east a green streak shone above the hills. The sky was still a glitter with sparse stars, and an immensity of gloom brooded over the sea. Gaunt, wounded, triumphant, he rode up beneath the banners of the dawn, eager yet fearful, inspired and strong with purpose. Wood and hill slept in a haze of mist. The birds were only beginning in the thickets, like the souls of children yet unborn, calling to eternity. Beyond, on the cliffs, Tintagel, wrapped round with night, stood silent and sombre athwart the west. Uther climbed from the valley as the day came with splendour, a glow as of molten gold streaming from the east. Wood and hillside glimmered in a smoking mist, dew brilliant, wonderful. As the sun rose, the sea stretched sudden into the arch of the west, a great pavement of gold. A mysterious luster hovered over the cliffs. Waves of light beat like saffron spray upon Tintagel. The dawn light found an echo on Uther's face. He came that morning the ransomer, the champion, a king indeed. Spring bursting the thongs of winter, day thrusting back the night. His manhood smote in him like the deep-throated cry of a great bell, voluminous and solemn. The towers on the cliff were haloed with magic hues. Life, glory, joy lay locked in the grey stone walls. His heart sang in him, and his eyes were afire. As he walked his horse with a hollow thunder of hooves over the bridge, he took his horn and blew a blast thereon. There was a quiet, a lifelessness about the place that smote his senses, bodying forth mystery. The walls were void against the sky. At the sound of the horn there came no stirring of armed men, no answering fanfare, no glimmering of faces at the casements. Only the gulls circled from the cliffs, and the sea made its moan along the strand. Uther sat in the saddle and looked from tower to battlement, from battlement to gate. There was something tragic about the place, the silence of a sacked town, the ghostliness of a ship sailing upon the seas with a dead crew upon her deck. Uther's glance rested on the open postern, an empty streak in the great gate. His face darkened somewhat, his eyes lost their sanguine glow. There was something betwixt death and treachery in all this quiet. 
He dismounted and left his horse on the bridge. The postern beckoned him. He went in like a man nerved for peril, with sword drawn and shield above his head, ready for blows in dark corners. Again he blew his horn. The blast rang and resounded under the arch of the gate. No man came to answer or avenge it. The guardroom door stood ajar. Uther thrust it open with the point of his sword and looked in. A grey light filtered through the narrow windows. The place was like the cave of the seven sleepers. Men, women, guards, servants were huddled on the benches and on the floor. Some lay fallen across the settles. Others sucked their heads fallen forwards upon the table. A few had crawled towards the door. They were cast in every posture, every attitude, bleak, stiff, and motionless. Some had froth upon their lips, glistening eyes, clenched fingers. The shadow of death was over the whole. The king's face was as grey as the faces of the dead. He had looked for human throes, perils, strong hands, and the vehemence of man. There was something here, a calm horror, a mystery that hurled back the warm courage of the heart. Prophecy lurked open-mouthed in the shadows. Uther shouldered his sword, passed out, and drew to the door. In the great court he looked round him like a traveller who has stumbled upon a city wrapped in a magic sleep. Urged on by manifold forebodings, and knowing the place of old, he went first to the state quarters and hunted the rooms through and through. The same silence met him everywhere. In the great hall he came upon a ring of corpses round a table, a ring of men in armour, stiff and rigid as stone, with wine and fruit mocking their staring eyes. In the lodging of the women, he found a lady laid upon a couch by an open window. Her fair hair swept the pillow. Her eyes were wide and glazed. An open casket lay on the bed. A string of jewels were scattered on the coverlet. The woman's face was white as apple blossom. She had a half-eaten pomegranate in her hand. Uther passed from the death chamber of Morgan Leblanc to the garden. The shadows of the place, the staring faces, the stiff hands clawing at things inanimate, were like phantasms of the night. He took the sea air into his nostrils and looked into the blue realism of the sky. All about him the garden glistened in the dawn, and the cypresses shimmered with dew. The pool was like a steel buckler on cloth of gold. Here was the placid life of flowers, making very death the more apparent to his soul. As he stood deep in thought, half dreading what he still half knew, a voice called to him, breaking the sudden and ponderous silence of the place. A face showed overhead at the upper window in the tower. A hand beckoned and pointed towards the tower's entry. Here at last was something quick and tangible in the flesh, something that could speak of the handicraft of death. Uther climbed the stairs and found Malmain's body by the well. When he had looked at the woman's face and seen blood, he paid no more heed to her. 
she was only one among many. Guided by a voice, Uther unlatched the door and passed in with sword drawn. A man met him on the threshold, a man with the face of a Dante and shaven lip and chin. It was the face of Merlin. End of Book 4, Chapter 8 Recording by Alan Mapstone